0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Ah, Happy Monday, everybody. Good morning. You're watching Squatbox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. More signs of stalling. Chinese GDP rise is just 0.8% in the second quarter. Raising expectations, Beijing has just got to do something to step up the stimulus measures. Asian equities slip. This after the Chinese data underwhelms, whilst Wall Street and Europe power higher, coming off their best weekly performance since March.
1: Microsoft and Sony put pen to paper on a 10-year deal to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation consoles, moving Microsoft one step closer to closing its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Earnings season gets off to a stellar start as US banks report bumper profits boosted by rising net interest margins. Citigroup CFO Mark Mason tells CNBC it's too early to rule out a recession.
2: Our base case calls for a mild recession at this point. We did have a good CPI print. I think the feds are likely going to want to see a couple of more months of that before taking significant actions in a different direction.
0: And extreme heat gripping southern Europe with no signs of abating. Uh, Italy issuing a red alert for 16 cities, whilst almost a quarter of the US population swelters under extreme temperature warnings. How the devil are you?
1: Mm, very well, thank you. Welcome back. I, it, it is
0: great. I, I had an amazing week. I've got to be honest. Was
1: there a ward leader you didn't meet on the <laughs> <most> carpet
0: <competent laughs> <laughs> uh, there were one or two, I have to be honest. But I, I did do my final tally, and it was, uh, I, was, I was like, wow, we did speak to a lot of people. And, and the problem is, is the good thing, is I was absorbed completely into geopolitics for a week, which I love, as you know, we all do. But it, uh, And yet, I've kind of felt a little bit divorced from markets. So I was always trying to catch what you and uh, Juliana and the team were saying about the world you were inhabiting while I was having to inhabit that geopolitical world. And it was a fascinating week you had as well.
1: Yeah, quite a lot in terms of gains. European markets oh, bouncing goodness. back after all the, the now, low. Was just up
0: 36% for the year so right. stuff like that. So yeah. very,
1: very solid, solid week, I think. But there yeah. was a lot of macroeconomic news coming out as well as the geopolitics. But for me, it was a pivotal geopolitical week too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I think it goes on. And I, and I, th- I still think we are stunningly confused because whilst we want to give the viewers a very clear, almost binary view, ones and zeros. Um, The market's good, the market's bad. The economy's good, the economy's bad. And I, I don't see that. I see so many subtleties and nuance and opacities in every single geographic Jurisdiction, including the United States. I don't think it's a slam dunk, despite what the markets are decide- deciding about this very sweet spot we're in at the moment. There is no doubt about it. The data performed beautifully for the US equity markets last week. I still think there are some very big concerns and actually some real naivety about what happens next.
1: I feel like we've been missing information. There's a real lack of depth around uh, the uh, various scenarios we've all priced into markets. For me, why geopolitics was such an interesting week. You got more detail. You had just about every world leader at NATO talking about how they saw the situation and obviously a lot of depth when you talk about how the regions have interacted with Russia over the years so they can very much second guess what the future can look like. When it comes to markets this week don't forget it's the earnings season we're rolling through a lot of big numbers now so we are getting a sense as to whether the assumptions of we can avoid a recession or we can't that starts to come through very thick and fast I think from the the corporates as they've been talking about what they're seeing in their businesses. I'll
0: say one more thing and and, and I, I, I did this as part of my coverage later on Thursday certainly early on Friday
1: and this was Turkey.
0: Now, the reason why I've just picked out Turkey, um, considering it will come in with the next conversation as well. And this is because I see a bit of a rapprochement going on between Turkey and the West. And I tried to explain that, why and what's going on and what have you. But but because of the economic necessity in many ways for Erdogan as well, he needs to stimulate his economy and he needs certain things to happen. I wonder if there could be a similar rapprochement, albeit stretching the point, between China and the West because of the economic realities. We have this great loggerheads of these two great powers, China and the United States, China and the West as well. But actually, is the economic underlying reality mean that the Chinese and the Americans both need to just pull back a little bit and think, actually, we do need a degree of cohabitation rather than this inexorable trend to pull our economies apart?
1: I wonder the same thing. And we've spent so long talking about decoupling and tackling it from we're not really talking about decoupling but it's de-risking and everybody's going around the semantics as to the word but the reality is this decoupling theme has been very negative for china and china's concerned that it goes towards decoupling not just de-risking and i think if you consider that the authorities don't want to rely on old methods of stimulating the economy namely fueling the property market and big infrastructure projects then what is the answer and i think the answer is to restore economic ties to an extent not just with the united states but with other western economies it would be
0: another stimulatory tool if china and the west saw a degree of rapprochement but anyway let's fill in the gaps for you because what we're talking about is the chinese economy and economic growth is it fairly unarguably we'll get an expert on this one but seems to be stalling right weighed down by weak demand at home and indeed abroad. China's GDP grew by 0.8% on a quarterly basis. Now you may think, oh, well, that's you know still a big growth, but the comparisons compared with last year, they're quite easy given the fact we had pretty much COVID lockdowns. Anyway, they fell 2.2% in the first quarter. Monthly retail sales slowed sharply industrial output though did top forecast with a gain of 4.4 percent let's take a very quick look at what the asian indices are doing the equity indices we have 0.8 percent lower for the shenzhen uh the csi 300 index down 1.1 percent 1.2 percent easier for the shanghai Composite. Let's have a look at the yuan and where it's trading versus the greenback. The dollar is gaining four tenths of one percent. So to fill in all the gaps and uh, just tell us all the subtleties and nuances are. Sam Vadas joins us now. Nice to see you, Sam.
3: Nice to see you as well, Stephen. I like what you said about uh, certainly the data performing beautifully for equities last week. It was a similar story for the Chinese markets as well, despite the disappointing trade and the inflation numbers. We still saw around a 2% gain for the CSI 300 index, those Chinese blue chips off the back of these hopes for small stimulus. But a very different story playing out today for Chinese equities, actually the underperformer in the region off the back of this data and that is because exactly what you pointed out, 6.3% perhaps the envy of many economies around the world but largely juiced up by the base effects of course we've got to remember q2 last year shanghai which is of course the commercial capital of the country was in lockdown that really took a hit to those supply chains and also of course productivity and consumption and so uh, that is what really helped out that number although it didn't meet expectations and that's the other thing that the markets are quite concerned about seven percent we were speaking to goldman sachs this morning which was the estimate um, is something that the government would probably look at if they're looking year on year and perhaps not justify too much of big bank stimulus. However, missing the mark there at 6.3, uh, perhaps they will still comfortably be able to achieve that around 5.5% or that 5%, I should say, uh, but it will perhaps now reinforce the need for more targeted stimulus. And that is very much what the market is crying out for at the moment, hanging out for more specifics in terms of how they intend to do that, particularly when you look at some of the concerning trends within that data. You mentioned retail sales also distorted by uh, the June numbers last year when we did see the release of the pent-up demand following that lockdown. So we're working with a high base then. Uh, 3.1%, though, it does very much highlight that consumers continue to hold back on their spending. They have reduced that to certainly as they are keeping the money in the bank. That's affecting, um, of course, consumption broadly because there are worries about uh, income and also jobs. And that was highlighted by youth unemployment another record high 21.3 um, so very much now the market is watching the Politburo meeting likely to take place next week uh, for clues as to how they intend to propel that growth to that around 5% towards the end of the year guys back to you in London.
0: Super duper Sam thank you very much indeed for that let us get to Frederick Neumann who is uh, Chief Asia Economist at HSBC Frederick lovely to see you um, I read a piece in the week of the East Asia crisis and I'm going back a long while now and it was by Krugman and it was about called I think the myth of Asia's miracle and it was all about paper tigers but the point here is it was talking about eventually you slow down after you have structural inputs which can only be given to your economy once ie uh, the population moving from agrarian to industrial that's just one example so, so my, my point is here China is exhibiting one characteristic which uh, Krugman would have noticed and that is the fact that actually once you've industrialized some of those impetuses they go i.e we go down from 10% plus growth and we slow down so how much is my, my questions how much of what we're seeing is actually a structural inevitability for China and how much of it is a disturbing cyclical picture good morning to you my friend
2: Good morning. It's at the moment primarily cyclical and that is after the lockdown last year, after zero COVID, uh, we would have thought that automatically you get a much bigger bounce back. But for some reason, that spent up spending isn't gonna come, it's not coming through to the economy. And that has a lot to do with confidence. So that is primarily a cyclical issue, but of course you're right in the background. We also have structural issues that are playing themselves out here. And by the way, One of the reasons why the government is hesitant in applying not too much stimulus is because they're looking at these structural forces and are saying, you know what, we've already built up the property sector. We don't want to go out and reflate it because it's already so large. And so some of the hesitancy not to apply too big a stimulus comes actually out of the recognition that structurally the sector has grown enough and probably needs to shrink over the next decade or so. So so that even makes it uh, more tantalising. Frederick, where is the growth
0: stimulus going to come from to reboot the Chinese economy? And there are various areas it could come from, from private sector investment, from public stimulus, which you just alluded to, from the consumer feeling more confident and going out and spending again, from relaxation of international tensions, from growth of exports on a global basis. I've given you a few examples. Any of those going to come to the rescue for the Chinese economy?
2: Well, let's leave aside the external side, but there's not much a China can do to really rev up exports if The world is not buying the goods currently because everybody's cutting back. So it's really about the domestic economy. And there's one sector that really matters for stabilization and that is a property market because not only is property construction a huge part of the economy dragging down demand for steel and cement and so forth, but it also matters for confidence. Because remember, a lot of Chinese have invested a savings in the property market prices have come down last month. So if there's a sense that really the property market isn't doing well, that's affecting consumer confidence at large. Now, we don't want to reflate another property bubble, but we at least got to give a sense that the end is near of the downturn that we see stabilization coming through. So we're looking really for more measures to stabilize sentiment around the property market. That means lower mortgage rates, helping with refinancing at lower rates, helping to give developers more funding just to get us through this rough patch over the next few quarters or so and to stabilize expectations, not just for the property market, but for the economy overall.
1: Frederick, I can see your point, given that property investment slumped, what, 20.6% in June versus uh, 21.5% drop that we had in May. So the numbers are telling us the extent of the red ink we're witnessing there. But when it comes to the overall economy and the growth rate, I know international markets like to focus on a hard and fast number when it comes to China. There's a big debate today whether 5% growth for the year is even achievable. What do you think? Is there a real risk that authorities could miss a 5% level this year?
2: There is a slight chance. Uh, We still are probably on track for more than 5%, just over 5%. But remember, there could be unforeseen shocks over the second half of the year. What if Exports, for example, take another major lag down, or we have uh, domestically, we have some disruptions from climate related events, for example, electricity outages. All of that would then mean that we are at risk of going below 5%. And so you want to probably buy yourself a little bit of insurance against these unforeseen shocks. And that would require marginal adjustment of policy. Now, next week, we have a Politburo uh, meeting that's usually in the middle of the year when really the uh, uh, you know the, the leadership is looking at the economy of the second half of the year, and so around this time, we're likely going to see something like triple R reserve requirement ratio cuts, more liquidity injections, and probably some stimulus measures around property, but not the big bazooka that many investors uh, have still been hoping for. Like Can I just tackle the out, why
1: now in terms of tweaking of policy? Because we've had a string of bad numbers for a while. And again, we haven't had any big policy action. But if you consider some of the narrative that we're seeing today in the back of these numbers, there is a feeling that there is just no more coming from the post-COVID boom theory, the reopening of China that was meant to bring higher numbers. There's just a reality now that was as good as it got. That was the fireworks show and it wasn't very good.
2: Yeah, that's right. And so the numbers today really suggest that uh, the economy is a bit softer than even the market had expected. Uh, Now, the market is disappointed that the numbers aren't so bad that really we're going to definitely get a big stimulus. But very likely policymakers will have to do something to stabilize demand, particularly around property, because you want to avoid really sliding below 5%. You want to avoid being exposed to potential unforeseen shocks over the next two quarters. And that will require some adjustment, the margin. But as the market today trades in a way that it doesn't really expect that uh, anything bigger than that coming in. Frederick, what I really wanted
0: to ask you about was the international investor uh, and the role that they are playing in China at the moment. Are they standing on the sidelines thinking, actually, we need to just roll with what we're seeing in Japan? Or actually, are they looking at the declines we've seen in the relative performance of the Chinese stock market and
2: thinking, actually, there's an opportunity here? Well, you know, it's very uneven. You have the perma bears out there. But on the other hand, you have also very compelling um, valuation propositions here. And uh, so if you look at the equity market, um, you know, unless you think the Chinese economy is not going to generate any growth in the foreseeable future, certainly some of the, the, the valuations do look attractive. And so we do see people coming out of woodworks and, and, and nibbling around the edges of the market. And so uh, once we would get a bit more of a traction in terms of the high frequency numbers, once you see the PMIs trick up maybe in the next couple of months, once you see a bit more reassuring words around stimulus, certainly there's some upside potential here, just given where we're trading in terms of valuations. Frederick, we love speaking to you and we love uh, just Getting a bit of knowledge
0: from you as well. So thank you very much indeed. I think we've at- attained both today's super. Uh, Frederick Neumann, who is Chief Asia Economist at HSBC. And Chinese Youth Unemployment. I mean, look, this is, this is where there's a real problem. It's about four times what the overall em- unemployment level is in China. And it's a social headache for the... Uh, for leadership. So, Chinese youth unemployment has hit a new record high. And for more on this and China's stalling economic recovery, uh, there is a terrific piece actually online on CNBC.com.
1: There's a lot of 20 handles, right? So, I mentioned the 20 odd number from the property investment number, the, the slide youth unjobless uh, number 21.3 yeah. in June, up from 20.8 in May. So huge handle.
0: The, the, the problem is, you, you, well, there's many problems, of course, but you've told this population, and, and it happens all over the world, but you've told this population, go to university, get this degree, we will find you a high-powered job or a good job as well, or a good job in our burgeoning in tech sector, or engineering sector, or industrial sector. And those jobs aren't there, and that, that creates social issues.
1: Yeah, it does, you've seen it through the Middle East, you've seen it in some European countries.
0: But the difference between Europe, Middle East is a separate point, which I, I take on board, is that we aren't in danger of entering a middle-income trap because of where we've attained and that And that is another one that... I mean, it's part of a George Magnus uh, red flag on China, which he wrote originally. But if you don't get over the middle-income trap and you have a high unemployment level, then that could potentially lead to some bigger issues.
1: Coming up on the show, Activision shares climb and extended trade after another obstacle is removed from Microsoft's quest to take it over. We'll discuss next. It was a mixed finish for major markets over the course of the Friday session. The Dow were moving high by about a third of a percent, but a slight pullback on the S&P and the Nasdaq. But it was a five-session positive for the Dow in terms of the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq just breaking that four-day winning streak. And there were wins if you tally up the gains over the course of last week as investors digested the narrative around the Fed, what we're likely to see on rates. The market's still higher, and you could see it very evident on the Nasdaq, gains to the tune of... About so much firmer trade is what we saw play out across the course of the other major markets. uh, Very close in play. 2 plus percent on the Dow and on the S&P. So noted by some that there were gains that seemed to stretch beyond just the Nasdaq, not just a tech story that unfolded last week. And it was evident across in the European markets as well. Stunning as we talk about the 3.3 odd percent on the Nasdaq. Gains to that extent on some of these European markets and almost exceeding in the likes of the French market 3.7% higher so it was a fairly decent session for those French stocks. German stocks in range 3.2% so keeping pace with the Nasdaq and in the mix with other international markets. The FTSE which has been left behind over the course of this year it also marked higher to the tune of about 2.5% so on pace with the gains that we saw for instance on the likes of the Dow 2.3% high for that market. To Treasuries we did see a narrowing of spreads between the 2 and the 10 so 4.77 where we're perched at the short end, 3.81 at the long end. Market again just trying to anticipate Anticipate based on the data, whether we've got uh, a series more rate hikes left. Or whether we really are talking about a next move by the Fed, and then we're done at that level. To the dollar, the trade this morning, this is how we're setting up on foreign exchange markets. It's slightly a mixed picture on the dollar trade. Sterling is, again, stronger. Look at that, 130.90 we've moved to. It is a much higher perch we've got for sterling through the summer period. In terms of euro, though, just coming off a little bit from the handle, 112.25, but it is also built up from that 109 market we've been tracking out in recent months. To the dollar yen rates, 138.55, a slight drift on the dollar versus the Japanese yen firmer versus the yuan. To the commodities complex, uh, let's just quite take a quick look. There's been a little bit of support for oil over the past week, but this morning we are seeing a pullback of near on 1%. So some slippage, 79 the handle on Brent and 74 the level on WTI. Gold prices are 19.5 roughly, so we're fairly flat on that morning session. Asian markets, some disruption there today. We don't have Japan trading. It is a holiday and there's a typhoon in the area in Hong Kong impacting the trading session. The one we do have the China data clearly, the big data point to react to, and uh, that is a challenging set of numbers that have crossed. So, the markets, Shanghai composite traveling down by more than one percent, taking with it other major markets, uh, fairly muted out of Australia. Slight tilt to the uh, red, but 7300. We're holding on the ASX, the nifty 50 is higher at this point. Steve, come come.
0: I've just got some data for, for everybody. And the truth of the matter is. The market still believes there are big cuts to come. And I've got another board I'm going to show in a few moments on, but I just want to just say something very blatantly first. At the moment, the Fed thinks that rates will peak at 5.6% in 2023. Got it? 5.6% 2023. That's what the Fed thinks, two more rate hikes as well. The market thinks that actually in 11 months time, i.e. in time for the late June meeting next year, the interest rates will be 4.5 to 4.75%. So that is roughly a percentage point lower, okay? So in 11 months' time, the market thinks that the Fed will have taken off a whole percentage point off rates. Historically, that is not going to be the case, everybody, and I've got to prepare you for this, because I want to show you something historically, and this is fantastic, and this is care of uh, Rubila Faruqi, who works with Carl Weinberg over at uh, High Frequency Economics. In the last 30 years, the average hold lasts 11 months. Okay, now it just so happens in 11 months time, we've got that June meeting uh, and actually the market thinks we're gonna be a full percentage point lower. Well, that just isn't gonna be the case and so something happens. Look at this, the, these are the, the, the latest holds and, and I'm, I'm indebted to HFE for these data as well. 1995 at the end of that rate hiking cycle, it took five months in order uh, to see the first cut. 1997. We're going back 18 months in total. 2000 was eight months. 2004, 2006. Then it took another 15 months as well. So we're talking about long time frames of pause, not swift cuts thereafter.
1: That's dramatic data because, as we've been discussing on the show, higher for longer. My question has been, what does longer mean? And if you're looking at the worst-case scenarios there for investors, 15 to 18 months could be the suggested time frame. The problem is if you've highlighted that the market is thinking that there's going to be an 11-month um, change, That suggests that policy error is still on the radar for a lot of investors because the reason you cut is because you've done something that's too dramatic in terms of interest rate hikes and you're looking at a fairly deep recession.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll carry on this again later because I know um, Will, the director, is very keen to get to this next story.
1: Big corporate one playing out and we've been talking about it all last week too. Microsoft is a step closer to closing its month-long quest to buy Activision Blizzard. After signing a decade-long deal with rival Sony to keep Call of Duty on the PlayStation console, The move will help combat concerns that the $69 billion tie-up could enable Microsoft to make the game exclusive to its own platform, which had been regulators' biggest objection to the deal. Activision climbed an after hours trade after the U.S. Federal Trade Commission suffered another court defeat late Friday, having its bid to pause. Microsoft's Activision bid rejected again. That means the U.K.'s Competition and Markets Authority is the last regulator standing in the way of the firms closing the acquisition by tomorrow's deadline. The CMA announced a six-week extension to its ruling process on Friday, saying the previous deadline also tomorrow didn't leave enough time for full and proper consideration of the deal. The regulator is reportedly due to meet with representatives from the firms this afternoon. And, of course, it's $3 billion on the line in terms of that break free. Thank you for
0: listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.